just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. How's it going today, Adam? Hey, Conrad, going great. Happy to be here. This is a little bit unique, though. We want to do this as a little bit of a special release. So it might be a little bit shorter than usual. Maybe we do a little bit shorter of an intro. But this, I think, is a very important topic. And I've written a couple articles over the past month or so. One was around where I see the future of tech in this industry for the next five years. It's actually one that I wrote last year for Matt Landau and his group. But I wanted to do a recap as I think through the changes that happened in in 23 and, and what I think is coming in the upcoming time. So that one came out a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm in the process of trying to finalize uh, another article that's more about an overview of the industry and where I think things are going from the macro level, not just focused on tech, but focused on the overall industry. And one of the points as I've come through and started to, to research this article, a lot of changes are happening, and, and we've talked about that for the last 10 months. But one of the ones that we have not talked about, one of the ones that the industry is not talking about is property insurance. And it's coming at us very quickly. It shouldn't be a black swan, right? We all prepare our budgets around property insurance, but we don't necessarily prepare for the increases that are coming. So from a company perspective, it's going to be a moment where we all have to take some reflection and understand where are we going to go next once these increases come. But I think the even bigger impact is going to be on the homeowner side. It's going to be on the inventory side. It's going to be on the real estate market side and potentially the overall economy side. And I know that seems like a grand thought, but the reality is that we're in a, a pretty tenuous time where small changes can have big impacts. So if insurance all of a sudden starts to increase on these homeowners that at the same time we're used to COVID-sized revenue, their revenue goes down, rever reservations go down, while at the same time, interest rates go up, inflation goes up, and all of a the sudden, they're hit with this large bill from insurance. I think it has the potential be to be that straw that, that breaks the camel's back. So we wanted to bring our guest in today to just talk really specifically about insurance. We're not going to go through a 50-minute discussion about the industry and where all these pieces connect. It's specifically focused on insurance. So it might be a little bit shorter, but we wanted to do this special release because we really do feel that the industry needs to start talking about this and it's coming at us very quickly. Yeah. But Scott, I think you were the one who kind of scouted James here originally, because this was something that you had gone through, I believe, getting some insurance for, I don't know if it's your personal properties or 10 properties, but yeah, would love to hear your thoughts on Adam's piece there, that this is a key piece, but we're not really talking about it as much. Yeah, so 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 the secret that I have to share that that we actually I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast is outside of the companies I also help to manage uh, several large real estate portfolios. Right, I've been through chief real estate officer and all of those things, but I've stayed close to a couple of large real estate portfolios, and and those are I used to say fifty thousand dollar condos all the way up to multi million dollar homes, but the fifty thousand dollar condos don't exist anymore because they're two hundred thousand dollar condos. But super diverse inventory, but all in vacation destinations, right? Every, everything we have is in vacation rentals, and quite honestly, we've managed. And one of the things that uh, we always hate is the HOA fees, right? And 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 all of that stuff. But as we were going in for our renewal in twenty twenty two or excuse me, 2023, we, we got ready for our renewal. All of a sudden, within probably about two weeks of renewing, our broker started sounding the alarm of, hey, you've got some issues here and we're having trouble getting some stuff insured. 
And it was like this sudden surprise moment of they were talking about a rate increase of 90%, right? And you're talking about a portfolio, again, from a couple hundred thousand dollar condos right up to multi-million dollar properties. And ultimately, it was what's the coverage, what's the deductibles, and it was something that I was in school. And some of the deductibles, and James will talk about this, it's really become disaster insurance for most of the portfolio. But so anyway, this broker comes to us, they ring the alarm, I don't know anything, and they're really our only connection to the outside world. So I start pulling the alarms and and ultimately end up after about like three rungs of of phone tag, I reached James and and I can tell you it was like I made a couple calls and 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 the person I talked to said James is the guy. James and I talked within a couple hours of that and and he and his team were incredibly helpful. And ultimately we end up now we're doing business with them. Huge resource, but but a lot to learn in here. And will it affect a VRM directly? No. It's not going to touch their business. The problem is it's going to affect their owners, right? So whether you're in a building and managing units in HOAs, we've seen HOA special assessments doubling and tripling the HOA fees. We've seen them just adding an extra HOA fee to cover the insurance. And that's before they even get to their own personal property insurance, right? This is a big impact. And like Adam said, they're also, the owners are also used to COVID money. And now you look at it and go, oh no, but don't forget, Really, 2019 is the base. So we're telling them, no, your revenue is going back to normal. And everyone's forgotten what normal was. Everyone now thinks post-COVID was normal. And also, your expenses are going up, in some cases, 70%, 80%, 90%. So I think this is the opportunity for the industry to listen to someone that I certainly have come to depend on with James. And and he knows the business. He's going to just spit it out how it was. And, And James... We laughed about James' sales cycle before this. Here's the hook is James and I was never a prospect for him. We got to this because I was just like, hey, man, I I need help. And and James got our business by simply being him and just saying, hey, man, here's the story. And and, and P.S., stop buying shit on the coast. Stop. (laughs) Buy somewhere else. But yeah, I, I I think there's a big opportunity here. And again, for the VRMs, whether you share the podcast with your owners or whether you just use it to be ready to say, hey, the owners are coming and I can be ready to help them or to at least say, okay, here's what they're going to expect from me and how can I communicate with it? Yeah, I think that sets the table nicely. James, welcome. We appreciate you and your time today hopping on. We would love to maybe hear a little bit of background of how you got insurance, what you do today from like the insurance sales perspective. But if you don't mind, could you first give us a song that best describes you so we could get to know you a little bit better as well? Uh, I just got married in Telluride, Colorado, and I actually performed Bob Dylan's The Man and Me at the wedding. So the lyrics there, and then I was I love Big Lebowski. So it's like one of my favorite movies. So I don't know. Bob Dylan, I feel like I kind of love that song. You've got a special place in my heart. Big Lebowski, huge (laughs) fan, and Bob Dylan, fantastic. Not to mention you stood up and actually performed at your wedding. That's awesome. Yeah. She didn't really want me to, but I did anyway. (laughs) What a many many decisions that she's not going to like for the next 50 years, so it's all good. (laughs) It took took the uh, eye of Sauron off of her and onto me. (laughs) (laughs) It was your special day, your moment. No, we appreciate that. That's a good addition to the playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, James. And then a little background about you and the insurance side of things. The company you work for, how'd you get into it? What what kind of clients do you typically work with? The company that I work for is a company called USI. 
we are what's called a mid-market broker. So we target businesses that are medium-sized businesses, anywhere from 200 employees to 2,000 employees. And love this company. Love my boss. I, I, I worked for a couple other brokers that I won't mention prior to coming on board with USI. But I don't think anybody that is in, in, in insurance uh, decides out of college that they want to be an insurance broker. It's I like to think that I... Have you ever seen the movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog Day? Yeah. Where Bill Murray basically punches out the insurance broker. Uh, Ned Ryerson... That's what I had originally thought of my career path when I first started. But it can be your own boss. You have the ability to really learn people's businesses. I have the opportunity to really help people with their businesses and to learn intrinsically how to help them navigate around a subject that is, I wish I had a better topic that we could talk about, but it's something that is important and it's businesses depend on it. And I'm glad that I fell into this industry and I'm able to help people with their businesses. Yeah. Right on the way that you and Scott connected, it seemed he was joking at the end, but it's ensuring these properties maybe that aren't the least risk profile, right? So there's problems with them. I even remember that I had this a long time ago. I've been told that you can't get proper insurance in some properties in the outer banks, the ones that are on the other side of the sound or on the other side of the, the dunes, because they're just like, they're going to wash away eventually. Isn't yeah. That so what, so yes, to some degree, if, if you've got, there are some homes that are on the outer banks that are like on the beach right? and you drive yeah. by and, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing home. And then they go listed for sale and you're like, why is that home so inexpensive? And James probably knows much more about this than I do. But my understanding of it is that you will never get the value of the home back. You will only get the value of the property back. So the insurance will cover the property, but you're basically throwing that home into the ocean at some point. Yeah. So anywhere that's super risky, right, along the coast is a great example. They, no company is going to make money in the event of a cataclysmic event, a hurricane, right? So why would any company decide to insure the property associated with a coastal property, right? But you want people to be able to build on the coast. So the government actually came in and provided a program for flood insurance, but only to a certain extent, right? Not to reinsure the entire value of the home. So if you want to build a multi-million dollar home, so be it. But I... There is coverage within flood guide, guidelines, um, the FDIC, other, it depends on each state, honestly, but there is a program there, but only because the government is willing to provide you with coverage to be able to build in that, in that area and in a lot of so, cases and on coastal properties. That, that makes a lot of sense to me, James, but just to maybe extrapolate that a little bit. So are, do you, is all of this coast, so I'm on the Outer Banks, North Carolina, right on the ocean. So are all of these coastal communities, is the reality that we can exist here because the government is giving the insurance companies some sort of offset? Or they're offsetting the insurance carriers themselves. Hmm. So they're getting, they're giving subsidies to the carriers that are insuring the property okay. in the event of a cataclysmic event. So yeah, they're, otherwise people would have no incentive to want to buy, build on the coast because you're building in a high risk area. Yeah. I, I guess from, from my perspective, James, as a layman who doesn't understand all the mechanics of how they come up with these costs and conclusions, I think in my head, that's not new, right? Like this, these things have been an issue for a long time. So is there a specific event that triggered these expenses to go so much higher, like literally within the last 12, 18 months? Because I think like the risk in 2007 was probably the same as it is today of a hurricane hitting the Outer Banks, for yeah, example. Yeah. In the past, I've got this in my notes. In the past three years, we've had multiple trillion dollar annual events. We've had forest fires, right? You can name off all the different forest fires that have taken place. 
you can name off the hurricanes. I think there were three hurricanes that hit Florida last year. There was a hurricane that hit New York, right? There's a frequency and severity issue that's been going on specific to properties um, that are not just coastal, right? It's all over the country. Flooding here in Texas, we had a freeze that cost insurers billions and billions of dollars off of something that hasn't happened, they haven't seen happen in quite a long time, right? If ever. I, being a local Texan, right? I've lived in Texas my whole life. It's We've definitely had freezes and we've definitely had it snow here, but not to the extent where it, it sticks around and lasts for a week and a half. We weren't prepared for that. You had pipes bursting in multifamily developments. You had, I had a distributor that I represented that ultimately had spoilage issues, right? All of the beer that they had, which was millions and millions of dollars of beer, ended up spoiling as a result of losing power. You just see that on a, we're talking from a micro level or macro level. You're seeing all sorts of cataclysmic events that are occurring in the property space all over the, not just the United States, but all over the globe. And that's a direct impact on what's, if, if it's not profitable for a carrier to insure a property, then a lot of carriers will pull out of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're running a business too, right? I think we alluded to that before we hit record. You were talking about kind of the supply in some markets has gone down. And if you're one of the only insurers left, I would imagine your logic is I can charge whatever I want, can I too? So it's risky, but there's some price point maybe that clears, right? Hey, I'll insure it for this amount of money because my profile say that's reasonable. So is that part of the equation too? If there was once 10 insurers two years ago, now there's two, like that's just naturally going to raise the prices up quite a bit as well. Yeah. Basic supply and demand, right? The the less competition, so the less carriers that are competing for pricing in a marketplace, the higher the price goes. I'm not saying that there's price fixing, but when carriers pull out and determine that it's not profitable, the price will go up. And just to add to that, they're pulling out for a reason. They believe, to your point, James, that it's not profitable. So the natural inclination is that prices have to rise to get to a place where it's profitable or else there's no reason to be there. James, I got a quick question, and this is more from my understanding as a homeowner, and I guess from a wider perspective of what the implications are beyond just the homeowners that are focused on vacation rentals. When these increases happen, it seems like we the insurers talk about it on a state level. So for instance, Allstate or, or State Farm will say, I'm, I'm, we're not going to insure any, anyone new in California, or we're not going to insure anyone new in Florida. When, that, when these increases happen, do they just happen to the at-risk properties or are they spread across that state? No, they'll, they'll impact all buyers, right? Everyone is impacted as a result of that. It's not just the people at the most prone areas because the insurance carrier is insuring, they're taking a hit on some of the properties, but everybody bears that the blunt of that risk. So I want to make a point there for the listeners, because this is another, my, my point at the beginning of this straw that could potentially break the camel's back, right? We're focused on vacation rentals, but there's a much bigger game that's being played here within real estate and with the overall economy. So to James's point, when these increases happen, yes, they're going to impact the vacation rental market and homeowners within the vacation rental market, but it's going to have a wider impact on the rest of the real estate market and potential of the economy. And as managers and as an industry, we need to understand the, the macro impacts as well as the micro impacts. So as this spreads, it's, it's not going to be uh, a good news for the industry or for the homeowners or for individual businesses. We've got to start making changes for this now. Yeah, that kind of takes us to our a good transition, right? I don't want to be the one that's just providing bad news. <laughs> I'm also here to advise on how to mitigate it, right? And what we're seeing from a lot of carriers is that They want the entities, businesses, or in this case, individuals, homeowners, 
to be willing to take on and bear some of the risk. So that's why you see deductibles that go up. That's why you see what we call retention options. We call it's risk retention or alternate alternative risk strategies, right? So there's all sorts of ways to be able to diversify, not... <laughs> Basically, what people's understanding of insurance is, and I hate having to get into the nitty gritty, but in this case, it's justified, but guaranteed cost is is what we're talking about right now. Guaranteed cost is where you have a very small deductible and you are transferring the risk from you, the homeowner, to the carrier to, to compensate you, to indemnify you for any loss that occurs, right? Yep. Uh, and sorry, I just had something else pop up. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing is that they no longer want to operate in a guaranteed cost perspective. They want homeowners to be able to pay a little bit out of pocket at the very least in the event of a cataclysmic event, if that makes sense. And that's new, James. So this perspective of the insurers of wanting to pass some of this risk back to the homeowners, they have more skin in the game. I get it. But is, is that new? Is this a new approach for insurers? No, you have the ability, if, if you're not a person that files a bunch of claims, Scott's company and the portfolio that he runs, they don't file a whole lot of claims. There hasn't been a whole lot of risk there. And so if you are willing to take on some risk as an entity, as a homeowner, then there are credits, there are rewards within premium from a carrier that they will reward you for being able to, to handle that. And, and my job is to show my clients where the savings are associated with risk retention, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so James, let's, let's hit on the HOA side for a second, right? Because I, yeah. I think there's some part of that, right? So in our case, right, we've got a, we've got a decent number of the portfolio in an HOA, right? And, and it's walls out, walls in, right? All, all of those terms. But really what we were impacted by was the HOAs, right? And, and part of this, to James' point, is to mitigate rate, right? So you can look and go, hey... If you're pushing the risk to the carrier, if you can find that level of insurance, the rate is just insane, right? But again, it's basically you're saying, hey, the risk is yours and, and we're going to ride your risk. So what the what happened was the HOAs have tried to find the middle ground, but in finding the middle ground, what they've done is take what was a $10,000 deductible, right? And they're running that up to 50,000, right? So now they've taken on more risk themselves, and they've mitigated the the cost to insure. So they push that down. The hook for individual owners is now you start looking at that actual asset, and it becomes in some cases now what do you do? Because now you've lost the cover of the HOA insurance, right, to some degree because of that deductible. So now the individual owner is sitting on the decision point to say, okay, I've got now that one at fifty thousand. So what do I need to do for for my asset? And and really. What we found is that's when it was a forced decision to essentially say, in our case, we're essentially only required, only relying on insurance for disaster, right? Essentially, that damn place is going to have to fall down for the, for this policy to make sense for this condo. But but I, James, can you talk a little bit about how the HOAs forced forced some of these owners' hands in, in, inside of a condo complex or or something building context? Yeah, I think what we're seeing as far as HOAs and stuff is that was the immediate reaction. And barring, we we had a good year as far as hurricanes go, as far as any kind of claims related to that, right? So there was, this was a profitable year. I think we can say in the property marketplace for the carriers that decided to stay in. And I just think that we're in a very volatile 
time right now in a lot of cases, right? We don't have to open up the can of worms in that regard, but you'll see HOAs, I think, make an adjustment back towards what we considered the norm. And then that will be translated down to the homeowners. But there's just a lot of volatility right now. And so it's what we need. And what, I, what I'm hoping for is that we just, there's going to be less claims, less cataclysmic events as a whole. And then you'll see the property marketplace adjust accordingly. And I, I guess I don't really have a firm answer as far as what homeowners can do to, to push back against HOAs and the requirements and the deductibles that are going into place. Outside of, I, I think right now, what we're having to communicate to our clients is you need to be willing to retain some risk on your own until we're through this volatile period in what we call a hard marketplace in the, in, in, in the property marketplace. So James, so, so let's talk about that for a minute. Cause what I've, my concern with this has been, I'm not aware of many times that insurance companies have said, oh, things have improved, so we're going to reduce your rate, right? So that was my concern. But you actually see in this case, that could return. If we could have some years without all the damage and destruction, you do see a path where this could start to settle back down and, and find reasonable again. Yeah, we have just like the stock market, there's bull markets and bear markets. There's hard markets in insurance where it's incredibly difficult for me to find a carrier that will insure a client. And then there's soft markets where everybody's beating down my door and wanting to know who they can represent. Right? And there's these, it's interspliced with what's going on in the stock market. And so right now we're just in a hard market and it's cyclical and it will change for the better. I think we just don't really know. It is, we can tie it to cataclysmic events. There is a direct reason why carriers pull out of the marketplace. But if it continues to be profitable, we have another year like we did this past year, then I think more carriers will return to the marketplace, create more competition, will ultimately impact pricing. And, and you'll start to see that trickle down effect to the HOAs and from the HOAs to the homeowners. Yeah, that, that's actually a good piece of news because that is different than what I expected. But that is right. That, that horizon looks far better than this is the new norm. And I think a lot of people haven't been sure on, on which way that goes. So I, th I think that is a very helpful piece. I, I like that positive spin. I'm all for that. I think there's a lot of value in that. But I also want to have two caveats with that. One, the path that you're laying out, James, is going to take time. So everyone needs to be comfortable with the world that we're in, where homeowners are accepting a little bit more of a risk for a period of time. We don't know what that period of time is, because obviously we can't predict what the next cataclysmic event is. But the other part of that is, what we can predict is there will be more cataclysmic events. And if you look at the history of where weather has been going these days, and regardless of what the politics are around it, there are more events that seem to be having more drastic impacts, which is where James was going at the beginning of this. So while I do love the positive spin, I also don't think as an industry and as businesses and as homeowners, we can necessarily plan for that, not with any certainty around what that timeline is. But my question back to you, James, is what other variables are there? If there is these hard and soft markets outside of just these weather events, what other variables can help create or mitigate these hard markets? Nuclear verdicts. Have you have you guys ever heard that term? No. It's somebody getting awarded two and a half million dollars for a dog bite. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a $50 million verdict to an attorney who is an ambulance chaser for somebody who got rear-ended on a highway. Mm -hmm. So 
on the casualty side, we see that there needs to be a a lot of tort reform and legal on a state-to-state basis to be able to counter nuclear verdicts. Because it's gotten to the point that is what's cost costing insurers. That's why your auto insurance is so expensive. And that's the largest cost to carriers across the board outside of cataclysmic events. Is- All right. So that's super interesting because I was not even thinking that we'd go down this path. It makes sense now that you say this. But here's the other piece of this industry that we all need to recognize is there is a huge amount of litigation that is about to happen in vacation rentals for a wide variety of reasons. But if we think about those nuclear verdicts, those are starting to grow and they're starting to set a precedence with where the direction is. And the direction is in favor of the guests, not in favor of the property management companies, not in favor of the homeowners. And the reason for that is the vacation rental industry has not taken safety and precautions as serious as we needed to for the number of years that have led up to this. So I would be of the argument that we will see more nuclear verdicts in the specifically in the vacation rental space in the foreseeable future. I don't think we can avoid it because accidents are happening. The accidents are becoming more pronounced. The courts are starting to recognize that we're not taking the right steps in this industry. So as a result, we're going to continue to get those verdicts until something shifts. Now, I am of the mindset things will shift in the same way that you're talking about insurance, and we're going to get much better at what we're doing with safety, and we're going to start putting in standards. But I do think that's another variable that we're going to have to battle. Yeah, I again, I'm trying to put a positive spin on things, right? And I'm here to I'm here to educate accordingly. So James, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I, the only thing I'll say to that is I think this industry right now is stuck in this positive spin and I want to make sure that we put the real spin on it. And I, I agree with you. I, I do think that at the end of the day, we're all a positive group, but I do want people to recognize what the ramifications of this are. Yeah. For, so from an insurance perspective, you want to be what's called best in class. You want to be a homeowner that doesn't file a whole lot of claims you want to be an insurance or you want to be an entity, a business, an owner, what have you. You want to be that outlier that isn't like the norm. And that's what prepare accordingly. What you're talking about is instituting protocol to where you're properly protecting your home. You're properly protecting your business. You're properly protecting yourself against unforeseen circumstances, whether that's a casualty related issue, liability related or property related, right? Try to just make sure that you are signifying to any kind of insurance carrier that you are what's called best in class and that you are profitable to insure. And then that's, I guess, the best advice that I can give. And that's what we try to prepare our clients for are all the ways to demonstrate to carriers that you are in fact a best in class entity. Um, that paid some useful context for sure, James. Scott, Adam, anything else we should touch on here before we depart with James here today? We've appreciated his time and he's given us, I think, a good, a lot of things to think about and also some reasons why, which when you don't know something really well, I think it's always useful to listen to people that know what they're talking about because it's, yeah, that does make sense. I did forget about these hurricanes because they didn't impact me. So that's yeah, a frame on it, but. Yeah, no, I think James just landed it perfectly, right? With with best in class. And, and I think it's, I can tell you from our standpoint, we always try to mitigate risk on our side. That's, that is what we're focused on. And and I, I think we, we got lucky and, and I say we got lucky, our premium skyrocketed, but quite honestly, we were of the lucky sort that we, we did okay comparatively. Yeah. I, I think it's like everything else, right? There's an opportunity best in class and 
inside of our industry, we've got people that are here to help. And and again, not only are they educating us, but imagine Justin Ford, right? And any VRM being able to go back to homeowner, homeowners and saying, hey, here's some resources for you about protecting your homes, right? And, and James, Justin Ford is a huge safety advocate in, in our industry and really pushing on everything that you know, right? The handrails and all of the safety stuff and fire safety and all that stuff. So I think the opportunity here is we're building best in class operations and businesses. Certainly that's our objective, but how do we take our resources down to the homeowner to a podcast like this and listen to what James offered and then say, Hey, and plus I've got the resources. Let's make your property safe together so we can avoid and avoid the risk and be a best in class owner to ensure. But proactive, what we tell people, proactive rather than reactive. So in in essence, start planning now. Like all of us as an industry, as individual businesses, as homeowners, let's start getting best in class today. That's when we need to start this work. James, I'm guessing that you are open to additional business and and wouldn't mind talking to other managers in the industry? Absolutely. As As long as they don't build in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) all right noted no one from florida called james we'll make sure to include your information so that people can reach out to you if you've got any questions yeah Yeah. thanks for having me guys i really enjoyed it we we appreciate you something that won't that we can do whether you're in florida or the carolinas or anything is you can leave a review so you go to your podcast app of choice you leave a review five stars doesn't cost you anything won't make your premiums go up or down i hate to say but helps us out quite a bit more people get to listen to the show so thank you we appreciate you and we'll catch you on the next episode of art of hospital